Luke chapter 4, verse 31 through 41. It says, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, Leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Yeshua Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of Elohim. But Yeshua rebuked him and said, Be quiet and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. They were all struck with amazement and kept saying to one another, What is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. And news about him began to go out to every place in the vicinity. After he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve them. When the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. As he laid his hands on each one of them, he would heal them. And also demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, You are the son of Elohim. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. I pray that Yahweh will bless his word to our hearts today. Last week we saw the Messiah. He proclaimed to be the one that the Spirit of Yahweh had anointed. And he was the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. I loved teaching on that text. That was beautiful. But in his hometown of Nazareth, he was for the most part rejected, at least at the beginning of his ministry. He was rejected so much that the people there from the synagogue tried to hurl him over the edge of the hill that their town was built upon. Could you imagine speaking a message so strong to a group of people that they wouldn't just want to argue with you, but they would want to throw you over a cliff so that you died. I want you to remember the reason that he was rejected is because he gave the people a straightforward ultimatum. He told them that they could accept him or they could reject him. He was the prophet. And he was to be accepted just like Elijah and Elisha. Sure, the Messiah had the ability to perform miracles just like Elijah and Elisha. And he did. And we're going to see some of those today. But he chose not to do this in his hometown. He chose not to perform miracles in Nazareth because he knew that the people there were after a show and not really after believing in him as Yahweh's prophet. And so he did not appease their wishes. And what we come to today is Yeshua's journey to a place called Capernaum, or actually what they would have called it is Kafar Nahum. And that basically means the comfortable village in Hebrew. And in this town of Galilee, Capernaum as we say, Yeshua begins to show forth his Messiahship with the signs and the wonders of a true prophet. Yahweh's prophet, all of them in the scriptures, had gifts and had the ability to be able to perform great signs and great wonders. 
Acts chapter 10, verses 37 through 38, continues to be quite relevant. I've read it before, but I want you to listen to it again. Peter is speaking to Cornelius and his household. He says, You know the events that took place throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How that Elohim anointed Yeshua of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because Elohim was with him. I want you to notice carefully in that text, Acts 10, 37 through 38, the events that Peter spoke of, he said they began in Galilee. But Peter said they began after the baptism that John preached. Why does he say after the baptism? Well, it's because Yahweh Elohim anointed Yeshua with the Holy Spirit and power at his baptism. And so after the baptism, he goes into first into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We talked about that. But then up into the region of Galilee to his hometown of Nazareth. And then now today as we're going to study into the place called Capernaum. Yeshua went about, he did good, and he healed those that were under the tyranny of the devil. And the reason he could do that is because Yahweh was with him in a very mighty way. And we're going to see Yeshua doing this in today's lesson. And I want you to remember, it's a good thing if you make notes in your Bible like I do. Mark Acts 10, 37 through 38, because it just keeps coming up. It just keeps coming up. It's a key text explaining the ministry of our Messiah. So we go to Luke 4, 31 through 32 again. It says, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. Now if you notice the map up on the screen, you'll see that Capernaum is north of Nazareth. Northeast, actually. Where Yeshua was coming from. He was traveling from Nazareth up to Capernaum. But yet the text says that he went down to Capernaum. And that is because Capernaum is about 680 feet below sea level. So a trip from just about anywhere in the surrounding area could be called down to Capernaum. It was still in the region of Galilee. Galilee is the northern region of the land of Israel, the Holy Land, as we say. And Yeshua was teaching them there on a Sabbath, and they were in the synagogue. Luke 4.33 verifies they were in the synagogue. And here we have another synagogue service that Yeshua attended on the Sabbath day because how many know it was his custom to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath? Luke 4, verse 16. The people in Capernaum were astonished at Yeshua's teaching because he spoke his message with authority. He spoke with authority, and the most likely meaning of that is this. Teachers or rabbis in his day, in the days of Yeshua, they usually based the validity of their teaching upon rabbis that came before them. What a rabbi would do is he would sit down with you and he would tell you this is what the Hebrew Scriptures mean and the reason they mean this is because this rabbi before me taught it and the rabbi before him taught it and the rabbi before him taught it so that's how you know that it's true. That's how rabbis or teachers usually taught. However, Yeshua did not appeal to rabbinical authority. He didn't appeal to that. He spoke the message directly from Father Yahweh. In other words, he said, the reason you know what I'm telling you is true 
is because it's coming straight from Almighty Yahweh. I don't have to appeal to a rabbi. I don't have to appeal to one that came 100 or 200 years before me. What I'm telling you is absolute, total truth. It's absolutely correct. There's no possibility that it can be wrong. Luke 4:33. In the synagogue there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, Leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Yeshua Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of Elohim. Now, right here in this synagogue, on that Sabbath, there was a man who was demon-possessed. And the purpose of my message today is not to teach a class on demons. That's not my message. I do have more in-depth teachings on that subject. If anybody is interested, you can find them on my website. But I do believe that demons are fallen angels. Angels that were created by Yahweh as His servants and His messengers but lost their first habitation or their first dwelling place. And they now follow the leader known as the dragon in the book of Revelation. There was a few years in my early walk with Yahweh and studying the scriptures that I questioned and did not believe in the existence of a supernatural being known as Satan. And I also questioned the existence of demons as well. But the thing that caused me to believe in spiritual beings known as demons was passages like the one that we're covering today. See, there is a way to interpret this text and others in the Gospels as the demons being merely sicknesses or diseases. There's a way to interpret it like that. But it's an interpretation that is quite a stretch. Now, this doesn't mean that every sick person has a demon. It doesn't mean that. Some people have made that mistake. This doesn't mean that every time you read the word devil or Satan that a supernatural spiritual being is in view. Not at all. Sometimes you read the word devil or Satan in the Bible and it's not referring to a supernatural spirit being. However, what made me change my position on it several years ago was that I don't like to to read the Bible and try to make it say something that it doesn't. And I felt in probably 20 to 30 passages that I was having to twist and to turn and to bend texts to make them say something when the plain meaning was there's a supernatural being that's the arch enemy of Yahweh. Yahweh created him as a good angel, possibly the greatest angel to ever exist. But he turned his back on Almighty Yahweh wanted to be like the Most High, and therefore Yahweh removed him from his good or righteous angelic court. Let's get back to our text. That's not the purpose of my sermon. I just wanted to say that. This man is demon-possessed. He has the spirit of an unclean demon living in him. Let me say this too. I don't have this in my notes, but I do not believe, based on study of the Scriptures, that a person that is full or filled with the Holy Spirit of Yahweh can be demon-possessed. Now, I do believe that demons, and sometimes even Satan, can try to attack them, try to come against them. But I do not believe that where the Spirit of Yahweh lives, that Satan can also live there. Because Yahweh is obviously more stronger than he is. So, this man was demon-possessed, okay? Which lets me know that he did not possess the Spirit of Yahweh. You say, well, he's in the synagogue. So what? Everybody that comes to the synagogue 
doesn't automatically mean that they're a servant of Yahweh. Right? Okay? So this man has the spirit of an unclean demon inside of him, according to Luke 4, 33-34. But Yeshua, on the other hand, had inside of him the Holy Spirit of Yahweh to the fullness. And the demon recognized Yeshua for who he was. And so the demon says, leave us alone. I want you to notice that the demon uses the plural pronoun us three times in this scripture. But then he uses I when he says, I know who you are. So we ask ourselves, why the us and then the I? Why the plural pronoun and then the singular pronoun? Why does he switch like that? Well, some say that the man here was possessed with multiple demons, which would explain the us, but not necessarily the I. Some say the demon used us because he was speaking of himself and the man that he was possessing. But I think that it's best to understand the demon as being a singular demon, one demon in the man, but he's talking about him and his fellow cohorts in the world. In other words, what do you have to do with us, me, and the other demons in the world that are trying to wreak havoc upon people? What do you have to do with us? And then he goes at the end and says, I know who you are. The demon calls Yeshua Nazarene, which simply means a person from Nazareth. Nazarene should not be confused with Nazarite. They sound the same, but they're not the same. Yeshua, as far as I know, I could be wrong on this, but as far as I know, never took a Nazarite vow in number six, but he was from Nazareth, and thus sometimes he was called a Nazarene. And that's why sometimes you'll hear me say Yeshua of Nazareth, and that's because that's where he grew up. That was his hometown. He was Yeshua of Nazareth. The demon here knows who Yeshua is. He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of Elohim. Now, some have made the giant leap of proclaiming, based on this text, I've heard it many times before from many men, that this text would teach that Yeshua and Yahweh are one and the same because Yeshua is given the title, the Holy One. And this is very simple to disprove. It's not hard to disprove at all. Yahweh is called the Holy One of Israel many times in Hebrew Scripture. But Yeshua is the Holy One of Yahweh, not the Holy One of Israel. It does not make sense at all to call Almighty Yahweh the Holy One of Yahweh. That doesn't make sense. The title Holy One in reference to Yeshua goes back to Luke one thirty-five, When Gabriel said to Miriam, That Holy One which will be born to you will be called the son of Yahweh. His cousin or his relative, Yohanan the Immerser, he was called the prophet of Yahweh. Yeshua was called the son of Yahweh. Yeshua is not Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel. He's rather Yeshua, the Holy One of Yahweh. That's who he is. And so this demon says, I know who you are. And it makes sense. It makes sense that the demons would know who Yeshua is. Because they know Yahweh's plan from the foundation of the earth. Why? Because they originally existed as good angels, righteous angels, on Yahweh's side before the rebellion took place. So they would know who Yeshua was. They would know that He was the Lamb that was slain from the foundations of the earth and the plan of Yahweh. They would know that He was the seed that was to come according to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. They would know these things. Yet there is not a single demon who ever proclaimed Yeshua as Almighty Yahweh. Not one single demon. 
They always recognize Him as the Messiah, the Son of Yahweh. And I want you to remember, even the devil himself, back in Luke 4, 1 through 13, even the devil himself said to Yeshua, If you are really the Son of Yahweh, command these stones to be made into bread. Notice that the devil never said, If you're really Yahweh, or if you're really the Most High. You know why? The devil knows who Yeshua is. The demons know who Yeshua is. They know exactly who He is. They know He's the Messiah, as we're going to see at the end of our text today. They know He's the Holy One of Yahweh. They know He's the Son of Yahweh. They have better theology than a lot of pastors today that try to bend and twist and turn and make the Bible say something that it doesn't. Just like I used to try to make the Bible say something that it didn't when it comes to the devil and to demons, We've got many pastors today that try to make the Bible say something that it doesn't and make Yeshua out to be Yahweh when all through the text, the emphasis time and time and time and time and over and over again is that He is the Son of Almighty Yahweh. Why will we not just believe what the Scriptures call Him as the Son of Yahweh? I get a little emotional about this because this past week I run across a teaching by a Messianic or a Hebrew Roots teacher and he spent five minutes answering a question about who Yeshua was, and not one time in the entire five minutes, Sister Dorothy, did he ever say the word son. Never. Never mentioned it. So I will move along from there. He's the son of Yahweh. You've got to believe it to be saved, brothers and sisters. You've got to believe it to be saved. There's no option. Luke four thirty-five through 37 But Yeshua rebuked him and said, Be quiet and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. Amazement came over them all. And they kept saying to one another, What is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. And news about him began to go out to every place in the vicinity. Why does Yeshua command the demon to not only come out of the man, but to be quiet? Well, the text doesn't specifically tell us why, so we have to speculate. I think that it's because Yeshua wants His ministry to validate itself. He doesn't need the validation of demonic forces. In other words, He doesn't want people believing He's Yahweh's anointed just because they heard a demon say it. He wants them to believe Him for who He is, for what He does, for His work's sake. The Father that's in me, He said, He doeth the works, what He's accomplishing. So the demon comes out. Yeshua doesn't have to holler for hours at the demon. The problem that I see is most demon casting out that takes place today, so-called, does not line up with how they were casted out in the Scriptures. Yeshua didn't have to spend two or three or four hours sweating and hollering and screaming with a person to cast a demon out. All he had to do was say, you get out of him and be quiet when you come out. And it happened. Just like that. Just like that. So if a person, brothers and sisters... If a person claims to have the gift to be able to cast out a demon, you make sure that they do it based upon how Yeshua and His apostles did it. Because there will be many, there will be many that come to Him in that day and they will say, did not we cast out demons in your name? And He'll look at them and He'll say, get out of my face, I never knew you, you practicers of lawlessness. That's what He'll say. Come on, somebody's got to fulfill that Scripture. Somebody's got to fulfill it. They claim to cast out demons in His name. I don't believe they do either one of them. They claim to perform miracles in His name. But no, they don't. They said, do we not do many good works in your name? 
He says, I never knew you. If that does not describe a large portion of modern-day Christianity, I don't know who it describes. The Muslims don't call Yeshua Lord. The Jews don't call Yeshua Lord. The atheists and agnostics sure don't call Him Lord. But you know who does? Christianity calls Him Lord. They claim to cast out demons in His name. They claim to perform many miracles in His name. They claim to do good works in His name. But guess what? They also tell you, we're not under the law anymore. We don't have to be obedient. You teach them about the Sabbath. Oh, we're under grace. We're not under the law. Get away from me. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. You who practice lawlessness. Get that in your head. Brothers and sisters, people get so rubbed the wrong way when you start talking about false prophets. It's as though false prophets can't exist in people's minds today. But yet Yeshua warned us about them. He warned you about them. And He said that they would come looking like sheep. Make sure that a prophet, make sure that a prophet that claims to be a prophet, make sure that he's following in the footsteps of the Messiah. Once again, the Messiah said, come out, be quiet. The demon came out just like that. Didn't even have to pray. You see, the gift of healing and the gift to cast out demons did not include prayer. Did not include prayer. There's nothing wrong with praying over somebody and believing that Yahweh could heal them, but that's not the gift of healing. The gift of healing, you didn't have to include prayer. You know what it was? Be healed. Boom, it happened just like that. Come out. Boom, the demon comes out just like that. I don't have that gift. I'm not saying somebody couldn't have it. But if they do have the true gift, they'll operate in it like our Lord and Savior. And they won't be a charlatan. So the demons come out. Yeshua has the true gift of healing. Those in the synagogue, they're amazed. They're astonished. What they were seeing, He had authority. He could command these demonic spirits. And that must have been out of the ordinary. They must have not seen much of that because they said, what's this message? For He has authority to command these demon spirits and they come out. And this news travels around all over the country. Luke 4, 38-39. After He left the synagogue, He entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Him about her. So He stood over her and He rebuked the fever and look what happened. It left her. Immediately. He left her. Just like he rebuked the demon, now he rebukes, not a demon, a sickness. Does he have to sit down and pray for an hour? No, he rebukes the fever and it leaves her. You know why? You know That's correct. You know why? It's because he had the gift of healing. He had the gift. He could use it at will. If he wanted to heal Simon's mother-in-law, he could heal her right then and there. In Luke 4, 38-39, he leaves this synagogue. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. Now, Roman Catholicism, you'll like this, Sister Lise. Roman Catholicism holds that Peter was the chief or the first man to hold the vice-regent office of the Pope in the church. But yet they forbid the priests to get married. And that's not changing anytime soon. I just read a news report about that in September of 2013. Uh, they believe that celibacy is the higher calling for the priest, and so the priests are forbidden to marry. But if this is so, then why do we see that Peter, who they believe to be the first one, had a mother-in-law? So you don't have a mother-in-law without being married, do you? 
you've got to be married to have a mother-in-law. And so Peter had a mother-in-law, which means he was married, and that's because there's nothing wrong with getting married. As a matter of fact, if you're going to be a minister, an elder, or a deacon, you're supposed to be married, according to the, the regulations in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And you're supposed to have children, plural, because you have to first prove yourself worthy in taking care of your own home before you can take care of the house of Elohim. How can a man take care of Elohim's house, Yahweh's house, when he can't take care of his own home? So Roman Catholicism is just totally wrong on that. And we can reject it. There's nothing wrong with staying single. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Apostle Paul says, look, if you're single, you don't have to care for the things of the world, how you can please your husband or your wife. You can devote your whole life solely to Yahweh. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being married either. So this woman here was suffering from a high fever. That word high is there in the Greek. It's mega in the Greek. It means big. It wasn't just a normal fever. And just like we don't want to twist and turn and bend the text that clearly speak of people being possessed by demons, they're clear. We don't want to bend this text and make it say that the fever was a demon. Some people want to do that. But it was a fever. It wasn't a demon. Some people believe and teach and practice and think that any time a person's sick, it means they're demon-possessed. I don't believe that. Sometimes I think that could possibly be the case. But when the Bible says that Yeshua rebuked the fever, it means he rebuked the fever, not the demon. And how many know when we're in this life, there's going to be times when we get sick. There's going to be times when we stub our toe and we get a headache because our body is corruptible. You know what? We're going to die. If Yeshua tarries, we're all going to die. Even if he comes back while we're still alive, we're still going to have to be changed into a new body, an incorruptible body. This body is corruptible. Don't always think because you get sick or because you get a disease that it means that Yahweh's against you or have an injury, that it means that Yahweh's against you. It doesn't have to mean that. Not at all. And you know what? Yahweh may heal you of that disease, and we pray that He will, right? We pray that He will, and we leave it in His hands. And we should pray in faith. I like what Brother Leon says. We pray in faith, we believe that it's going to happen, and then we leave it in Yahweh's hands. But you know what? I know some great, good Christian people that I prayed for, and they never got healed, and they died with the disease. And you know what? I believe they're, they're going to be in the kingdom. And I believe they'll be healed then. And Yahweh will answer my prayer for their healing then. Yahweh doesn't have to always heal somebody. I want you to grasp that. Because there's a teaching going around today in Christianity called the prosperity gospel that thinks that everybody's supposed to be rich, nobody's ever supposed to get sick, and that is blasphemous. It's wrong. All through the Bible we see, we see rich servants of Yahweh, we see poor servants of Yahweh. We see healthy people that serve Yahweh, we see sick people that serve Yahweh but they're all servants of Yahweh. Simon's mother-in-law served Yahweh. She had come down with a fever, just like I've come down with a fever before. And Yahweh chose through Yeshua to heal her of that fever. And it was a beautiful healing. And I believe we can be healed of fevers today. Pray the prayer of faith and ask Yahweh to heal fevers and He can take them away. Yeshua had the gift of healing. The gift of healing did not have to do necessarily with laying on of hands and anointing with oil as we do here in this congregation. That's scriptural, 
The book of James says in chapter 5, If any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and anoint them with oil. In the name of Yahweh, in the prayer of faith, shall save the sick. If they've committed any sins, they'll be forgiven. That's biblical. But that has nothing to do with the gift of healing. We pray that Yahweh heals, and He can. And sometimes He does. But I don't have the gift of healing. Yahweh didn't give me that gift. He disperses them out differently to different people, and He chose not to give me that one. He said, Brother Matthew, would you like to have it? Yeah, I would love to have the gift of healing because there's some people that I love dearly that are sick really bad that I'd like to heal. But I don't have that gift. I don't have that gift. Yeshua did. He had the ability to heal those who were sick or those who were demon-possessed. I want to center in on the end of verse 39 where we just read in the HCSB that she got up and she served them. The King James Version reads that she ministered unto them. And the word ministered or served in the Greek is uh, diakoneo, if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm not Greek in case you didn't know. Or the word deacon. It's the same word used in 1 Timothy 3 verse 10 and 13 for the office in the church of deacon. Now this doesn't mean that this woman was a deacon in the church. It simply means that she served somebody. Because that's what the word deacon means, to serve. You guys have heard me say before that the word minister literally means servant. People have plaques up on their offices that say, you know, Minister Brown, Minister Smith, Minister Jansen. I don't have one of those plaques, by the way, but put myself in there for the example too. But how many would have the plaque if it said Servant Smith, Servant Brown? Minister seems like a prestigious title, but it means servant. And ministers today are supposed to be servants to the people. And sometimes I feel like I fall short at that um, with people. So pray for me and forgive me if I've not served any one of you when you needed to be served. And I'm praying about that and working on that and asking Yahweh to give me strength. And I believe that He will. Because he, he gives us the desires of our heart. And that's a good desire, I believe. What this woman did in her ministry was she probably gave Yeshua food and water. That's how she ministered to him. She may have washed his feet, made sure he was taken care of while he stayed at Simon's house. And her ministry was important. Sisters, her ministry was important. The ministering that you do is important no matter what capacity it's in. Just because you're not up here preaching the Word or in the office of an elder doesn't mean that you don't have a ministry, a service. Ministry means to serve. And any way that you serve is of great importance in the family of Yahweh. Luke 4, 40-41, When the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to Him. As He laid His hands on each one of them, He would heal them. Also, demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, listen to what they said again, Soak this in. You are the son of Elohim. That's what the demons were shouting when they came out. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak. Why? Because he knew, or because they knew, he was the Messiah. The phrase, when the sun was setting, is a reference to the end of the Sabbath. And the parallel is Mark 1, verse 32. Most of the people at this time still bound themselves to the view of many Pharisees concerning no healing on the Sabbath. Many of the groups of the Pharisees did not believe it was lawful to be healed on the Sabbath. 
And so these people either took that view or else feared the Pharisaical upper class in Israel. And they would wait till after the Sabbath to come to where Yeshua was to be healed. Of course, we know that healing is permissible on the Sabbath because as important as the Sabbath is, life and well-being is more important than the Sabbath. I want you to notice that those sick with diseases were brought to him. And he would lay his hands on them and he would heal them. Now, I believe that the laying on of hands here has much much significance when you understand all the times in the Hebrew Scriptures that speaks of laying on of hands to identify with someone or something as well as for transference. But I also see here compassion in our Messiah. He wanted the people to know that He genuinely cared for them and so He would touch them. It's like feeling your best friend hug your neck or pat you on the shoulder and tell you that they're there for you. Anybody ever had that happen? I've had brothers come up to me in my distress and grab me on the shoulder and hug my neck and tell me that they love me. And what that does when they touch me like that, it shows forth brotherly love. And I think that's what Yeshua was doing. He was comforting the people. They'd come to me and say, come to me. Let me let me hear about what's going on in your life. And I'm going to heal you. Whether it be of a demon or whether it be of a sickness. Now I want you to notice the word also there at the end. Before the phrase, demons were coming out of many, says also demons were coming out of many. Well, that further shows that demon possession doesn't always equal sickness. It proves that you can't just say the person with the demon is just physically sick. You can't say that. And it also proves that you can't try and put a demon in everyone that is sick, as I've said before. Notice again what the demons were shouting when they came out. They said, you are the son of Yahweh. See, they know who Yeshua is. They've got better theology than many pastors today who rarely ever emphasize Yeshua as being the Son of Yahweh. I try to emphasize it over and over and over again so it gets into our minds. I teach it to my children all the time. Yeshua is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of Yahweh. Amen. And I try to emphasize it because I see very few people emphasizing it in the world. But here we see again, they said, you're the Son of Yahweh. People are so worried about making Yeshua Yahweh or the second person in the Trinity or an archangel or or whatever. But the text of Scripture just keeps saying over and over and over again, He's Yahweh's Son, He's Yahweh's Son, He's Yahweh's Son. And I like to tell people, brothers and sisters, when Yahweh tells us something like that so many times, He's not trying to trick us. He's not trying to make us think something that's not. Gabriel said He was the Son. Yahweh's voice from heaven said he was. He said, this is my son. This is my son. He could have easily said, if that was him, he could have said, that's me. But he didn't. He said, that's my son. Listen to him. You said, Brother Matthew, you're very passionate about it. I am. And I apologize if I get too loud about it, but I can't help it. Because I do get upset. I get upset. Because I think that a lot of people are just twisting the verses bad. And they need to just believe them for what they say. Notice too that they knew he was the Messiah. There at the end of verse 41, it says they knew he was the Messiah. That goes hand in hand with the Son of Yahweh. Remember what Peter said in Matthew 16, 13 through 18? When Yeshua said, who do you say that I am, Peter? Peter said, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living Elohim, the Son of the living God, as the KJV says. So that goes hand in hand, Messiah and Son of Yahweh. And Yeshua rebukes the demons and doesn't want them to speak. That's similar to what we covered where he said, be quiet when you come out. 
And Yeshua wanted the revelation of who he was to come in its proper time, in its proper way. And even though the demons were correct in what they said about him being the Messiah and the Son of Yahweh, he did not want it to be used by his enemies to discredit his ministry. As a matter of fact, some people tried to discredit his ministry. They tried to say that he, by the power of Satan, cast out Satan. And he totally flipped that on his head because he said, then you have a divided house, and that doesn't make any sense. We'll get to that at a later date. So that's a lot in about 10 or 11 verses. And so I want you to go home. You can study those verses in your study time. Go back over them, and we'll meet back here next week. Let's stand and have a word of prayer.